Welcome to the Pitch Vision Academy Cricket Show. This is your guide to better cricket. It's uh, about half an hour long and uh, we're here to give you a hand with the game, whether that's uh, as a player or as a coach. We want to help you out. So who are we? My name is David Hinchliffe. I look after things. And helping me to help you are two very fine cricket coaches. The first is the director of cricket at Millfield School. It's Mark Garraway. Hello, Garris. How's it going? Very good, thank you. Yeah, feeling very festive. Uh, looking forward yeah. to uh, a week of overindulgence, which will be good. Um, and then uh, also a week of reflection, really, because, you know, I quite like this time of year because it's probably the slowest time of year that uh, that I have. So it enables me to sit, sit in, have a little thing think back on the year and also put some plans in for for next uh, the next few months which is good secondly it's the head of cricket performance at Portsmouth Grammar School a man he never stops working because you might be able to hear the sound of bat on ball in the background it's Sam Lavery hello Lavers hi David apologies for that we've just got a few of the boys getting some uh, getting some extra Christmas practice in in between my one-to-ones and they're uh, they're enjoying we've got a couple of younger lads in there who've uh, braved it in yeah, out give of it the a cold whack. and um, they're getting Getting a little bit of batting and bowling in, which is which is nice for them. But um, yeah, it is a uh, a nice cold, crisp morning on the uh, on the south coast. Yeah, lovely. Keep us updated if you if you're hearing particularly good uh, shots ringing out, then uh, we'll need to know what happened. So keep one eye on it. Well, there's one of the boys in there is looking good to be fair. So I, I might be uh, I might be giving you some commentary on some of the shots he's been playing because it looks like he's hitting it pretty hard. There's no better time for a, a player in England to be in Great Nick than uh, the week before Christmas. It, would, yeah, it depends what level, level you play. If, you, if, you, if you're queuing up, that's mind you, I suppose. It doesn't matter if you're playing Ashes cricket, doesn't it? It's all gone. So. Uh, this is our uh, this is our going to be our last show of the year. We're going to have a little Christmas break ourselves. So I thought it would be a good time, Gareth, as you were talking about reflection there, to talk about um, some of the things that we learned this year something that perhaps you know you weren't too sure about at the start of the year but this year has become something that you're really into so um let's start with you gareth is, is there anything uh, this year that that emerged that became something that you uh, think oh, i'm definitely going to be carrying that into next year i think the whole um perception of failure type situations that we constantly have when cricket because ultimately it is a game of failure I think over this year I've learned more about how we can use that to our advantage and to help us to develop some uh, better strategies and actually to help us to to learn from our mistakes a little bit more and, and that came about through uh, a bit of reading that I did at the beginning of the year um, and uh, off the back of that I'm still formulating better and better strategies of, of how I can manage cricketers you know when they're down the end of the net and they, they've hit a, a shot that they're not happy with and um, they get really down on themselves you know what sort of language can I use to try and get them to understand that that, uh, that feeling of failure is actually something that the best players in the world use to their advantage to learn at accelerated rates um, so a couple of books that I've read this year have really helped me to start to get my strategies around that and the first one uh, being black box thinking which I read uh, which is Matthew Side's book which I read uh, when I was out in the West Indies at Easter 
fantastic looking at the way that different businesses and different organizations use failure to um, get their uh, to get themselves moving in a, a positive direction at an accelerated rate and then more recently um, will it make the boat go faster which is about uh, a rowing team a British rowing team at one gold in 2000 it happens to be uh, involving one of my mates from school as well that was in that boat um, so it's, it's got a bit of personal stuff in there as well but I can read about Lewis Atchell who, uh, who I grew up with on the Isle of Wight um, but, but also in there a lot of good strategies for dealing with failure because ultimately that squad hadn't been successful had never won medals at world championships or Olympics and then went to the Olympics after a two year cycle of putting together some really good strategies based off the back of some failures and learning from those failures and ended up with a, a fantastic gold medal. So um, those two books have really inspired me to look at our game, which we do fail at heck of a lot. Even the best players in the world fail sort of, you know, 60% of the time um, and how we can use that failure to really uh, push us forward to, to new greatness, I suppose. And Lavis, what was your what was your message that is uh, that is high in your mind this year and, and will continue to be high in the mind next year? I, I think something's that's becoming well. It, I think it's obvious. It's maybe it's been obvious to people a long time, but there is there's a lot more in people than they they think is in them. And, and cricketers, whether they're young or they're old, they can achieve a hell of a lot more than they believe, and they can get a lot more out of their selves physically than, than maybe they believe as well and, and installing a little bit of belief and a little bit of confidence without doing any cricket related coaching you don't have to be an expert in all the technical different things but if you can inspire someone giving them belief that, that they can achieve something there are a lot of things that, ki- that kids particular they can do on their own they can work out for themselves and they can go and perform for themselves without really needing too much kind of detailed analytical support and one of the a, a good example of that is um, we have uh, um, Chris Tremont comes in every every holiday does a little bit of work with him um, with some of the bowlers he's back in again tomorrow actually and um, we we had a boy who was bowling nice a year 10 boy nice tidy bowler but bowled at kind of 60 miles an hour could hit the same line and length all day long and, and bowled with a little bit of skill but he said I want to bowl fast and Chris kind of said okay then yeah you want to bowl fast good and the boy then repeated well how do I bowl fast and he said just bowl fast and <laughs> what, so what do you mean well, well just currently you're, you're bowling line and length because you're trying to bowl line and length if you want to bowl fast then try and bowl fast and, I, and, and this completely, completely baffled our, one of our boys for about 15 minutes um, didn't really know how to take it, but then I was actually no, I, I don't try and bowl fast. And, and he's, he's spent the last three, four years operating at eighty percent. And and actually, if he operates a little bit closer to that hundred percent mark, he's going to stretch himself physically. And and in in the the resulting sort of weeks, of, well, in the re- resulting ten minutes, he got on two or three miles an hour just by actually trying to bowl fast. So that was a big leap straight away. But by by equally challenging yourself and knowing that your limitations are a lot a lot higher than you possibly thought they were. You can stretch yourself and you can progress a hell of a lot more and a lot, a lot faster than, you, than a lot of people think they can. 
So there's a lot more in the tank for people, and um, if you can draw that out of them, whether it's very simple conversation like that, or, or something that maybe has to be a little bit more complicated, however it is, if you can draw that out of them, there is so much more in, in people than they believe. I had two things. I had um, one was kind of around the whole idea of of uh, you know team spirit or culture and, and how that how that uh, influences team performance and sort of finding a finding a way to to build that into the teams that I coach. So that's been a very interesting area for me, especially around the role of the captain and the role of the coach and how those two interact with each other is is something which is uh, very interesting. And speaking of books. You read Gareth. I read a really good book around around captaincy as well, called The Captain Class, by a chap called Sam Walker, who looked at some of the uh, most successful sports teams of all times and came to the conclusion that the that the one common denominator with all these teams in all these different sports was the captain and what the captain did and how the captain um, performed their role as captain, not even necessarily as a player within those teams, but as captain. So. That was a fascinating thing, and and that's opened up a whole world to me. That book and um, the 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 legacy book as well about the All Blacks, uh, which was uh, a lot around culture as well, was very interesting to me. So all that piece around there has been very interesting to me this year. And the other thing, which is maybe an even bigger can of worms, is this whole idea of constraints-led coaching, which uh, has really sort of came home to me. It's something I've thought about a bit for a while in the back of my mind, but it really came home to me during the ECB CA conference where it's pretty much all anybody talked about was this kind of, uh, you know, self-learning and and athlete-led and constraints and all these sort of academic terms which float around. But when it comes down to the practicalities, it's what you do practically in sessions and how you work with players. It is different. And so I'm still experimenting that and still trying to find a way through this very different way of coaching which seems to perhaps not even look like traditional coaching, but also seems to be pretty effective, not only in improving skill, but also in making sessions more fun and and interesting and putting smiles on people's faces a little bit more than being dour and serious and telling people to keep their elbow up. Yeah, I think think that's a good one. I've had quite a lot of... uh exposure to that two or three years ago was it was really a new a new thing and it's it does it challenges you doesn't it it, it sort of goes heck you know how, how did I go about practice uh, before this but as you say I think from a, a an experience point of view of the player and what they experience it, it really does help to put as you say smiles on faces and, and whilst you, you're not going away from those points that need to make them a better player, that your process of getting them to experience that is different. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been something that uh, I like watching coaches using that approach. I spend a lot of time watching other people going about their business, and, uh, and certainly uh, I've seen some really big moves within some of our bowlers with, with Dan, who works at the school, who uses this approach a lot. Yeah, it's a fascinating area, and it's controversial as well. You know, you, if you if you go to certain corners of Twitter, you can get into some very heated debates. Where, well, me personally, I only probably sta- understand about thirty percent of it, but people get very, very passionate about their particular corner of this of this debate. Um, 
and uh, you know the, the insults are often slung around and it makes me think you know how if such a small such a small field uh, in terms of people who are that deep in it um, perhaps we should all be a little bit more friendly about it but uh, but yeah I like to dip my toe in every now and again so um, yeah a fascinating area and as I guess a lot with a lot of academic style stuff uh, the debates are long and heated over very, very tiny points. <laughs> so it makes it fun to, to watch from the sidelines, at least. How do you feel those sort of debates go when you come to crossing... Obviously, this kind of thing crosses sports quite yeah. easily. Well, easily or not, I'm not sure, but it does, does cross sports quite quickly. Do you see kind of... Um, almost um, ideas being slightly different to the application of this in, in different sports or is everyone kind of pushing in the same direction from the conversations you've had or the conversations you've read and followed online yeah I think I think um, although the, the sports are different what the, what the same thing is that we're all human beings doing it and 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 the the whole idea around this is how do humans develop uh, skill right physical skill and that what that physical skill is varies between the sports but the the sort of overarching principle of how they do it how that go, how you go about that stays the same so i think it uh, if it's more to do with what your principles are and what your philosophy is than it is to do with what sport you're coaching or what sport you're researching um, obviously if you're researching uh, a, a sport like hockey or rugby or football you know which is you know a, a team sport played an event Asian sport they call it isn't it you know you have to sort of score against an opposition um that's that's a, a slightly different way of going about it but the overarching principles stay the same that you, you're you're building in constraints and you're letting the drill do the coaching rather than telling people the answer and let uh, and then and drilling them until they can do it perfectly and then and then putting them into a live environment so yeah, the, the football version of it or the hockey version of it is dribbling around cones. Say, oh, you know, you should never dribble around cones. And the cricket version is you should never hit the ball off a tee. That's the extreme version of it. But it, it's, it doesn't, I don't think it varies much depending on what the skill is. But enough about Twitter. Let's go on to uh, some cricket questions. Questions that have been sent in by listeners to the show or readers over at pitchvision.com. And of the two questions that get asked this week, we pick a winner which gets a prize, and that prize is an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And the first person who sent in their question this week is Robin. And Robin says, how do you prepare for 2020 batting as an opener? Yeah, good question, uh, Robin. Um, and we're becoming getting into that 2020 mode, aren't we? You know, big big bash is, is kicked off, and uh, and that's looking really exciting again. Uh, once we get beyond that, we get into IPL, and then and then through to the CPL, and um, over to to the UK as well for for our uh, version of 2020 cricket. So yeah, topical. Um, how do you prepare? Well, I think preparation comes in, in all sorts of different ways. Of course, you can go into to the nets, get some throwdowns, get on a bowling machine, hit some balls, um, and practice hitting the ball out the ground, or practice hitting hitting areas on, on a cricket pitch. Fantastic 
the good practice, all of that. But I think before you do any of that, the, the best preparation that I can give is to really work out how you play, what your best shots are, because boundaries are so important in T20 cricket, particularly when you're playing T20 cricket on good surfaces. Boundaries are the you know the, the thing that the biggest KPI I suppose in terms of uh, having success outcome success at the end of the game you know your team if you score more boundaries in the opposition it, you, you win more often than not and so as an opening batter you have the best opportunity in many ways to score those boundaries because the fielder fielders have to be up there's only two outside the circle in in that first six overs and the ball generally comes onto the bat even when spinners which we see bowling a lot now that the new ball will skid on and allow you to hit through the ball a little bit more and and yes you can get some uh, seam movement and some swing uh, up front with that new ball but ultimately if you're using a white ball in particular it tends not to dart around all over the place too much so it can be the best time to bat and therefore you're boundary options are really important so having a very clear mind on, on what they are and what balls you're looking to access um, to, to the boundary uh, what lengths and lines you're looking to attack how you're going to make the the bowler or the bowlers fall into those areas more often than not how are you going to pressurize them so the more clarity you can have as an opening batter in a, what balls you get, and B, how you are going to get the bowlers to bowl those deliveries, the more boundary options you will, you will get. It's not necessarily always about developing another shot. It's not develop, It's not trying to uh, find a shot that you've never played before in your life. It's more about getting hold of your shots and applying them into a game of cricket. So you look at somebody like David Warner, who's incredibly effective at the top of the order, um, he plays two or three shots really well uh, and basically makes himself um, uh, puts a bowler under under pressure for to bowl the ball into those areas. So that would be my first and foremost thing. Be really clear in your own head, and then you can go to the nets, or then you can start to to practice those shots. But be really clear on how you're going to go about your business at the top of the order because it's a crucial place in 2020 cricket. I don't know if you um, uh, saw this, uh, Lavers. There was a bit of research recently where they were testing um, players' performance against a pink ball in uh, twilight conditions, and they found that using um, special uh, ro- this is uh, this is not a joke. It sounds like it might be a joke. Special rose-tinted glasses um, allowed you to pick up a pink ball better in in twilight conditions. So if you're playing 2020 cricket, evening cricket with a pink ball, maybe it's time to get some rose-tinted uh, sunglasses. <laughs> Well, I've got a couple of pairs, as you know, David. So I'm covered for I'm covered already for that. But um, I, I, would would that be a surprise? I don't I don't think it would be. I think technology these days, sunglasses are very good, aren't they? And and it does uh, you can get those light enhancers or um, variations on light enhancers that do uh, bring out the colour, the different colours that you've, you've got in the. Uh, um, in your line of vision, and um, at that time of day, I think it's, it's common knowledge that people do find that blurring of day and night and floodlight and no floodlight and um, all thrown in with the, the, the dark backgrounds of the crowd and, and, and then you've got the, the pink ball thrown into the mix as well. Anything that can help it stand out is going to be useful. However, how many people do you think trust science and will then go, right, if that science says it's better, I'm going to do it. And I, and I would imagine that 
Not many, to be honest. I think there'll be you might you might find there's a five percent take up in that. Maybe one person in a cricket match might do it, but um, it's probably going to be a slow burner. Chris Gale will have a couple of pairs, um, as will a few of his colleagues, I'd imagine, because um, he's done that kind of thing before, and, and a few of the West Indians who have probably been a bit more accustomed to those kind of conditions. Maybe maybe have done it a little bit more because those guys play a lot of. 2020 cricket around the world and that they've, they've probably had three or four years of doing a lot of that but um, is it going to be taken up I'm, I'm, not, I'm not too sure I think in the in the 2020 opening scenario I, I think um, obviously Gareth mentioned very briefly the kind of the physical preparation about how you can go and do different things but I think having your mind clear and having that um, that kind of plan of I've got an option for these general areas is a really good starting point and you don't need to have a shot for every single delivery but if you've got a shot for, for something on the front foot, something on the back foot, something that's a little bit wider and straighter and you've got a few things you can put together and then you can move from one to the other and, and understand how to adapt from one to another and how the shot's kind of merging together then you're in a pretty good position. Um, and the other thing is just being able to adapt a little bit to, to differing fields and differing lines of attack because that your two men back could be third man cover one minute and the next minute could be long on mid-wicket. So having that awareness and understanding that actually you've just got to get the ball past these men that are 30 yards away a lot of the time. And if you do that in the right direction, then you're getting your runs rather than swinging... Well, well, swinging recklessly right from the start, and I think that's something that's a common trend of the um, the best opening batters in 2020 cricket is is they don't just run at run at the ball every time and swing as hard as they possibly can. There's a lot more skill and a lot more finesse, and the, with the power they have, they don't need to swing quite so hard. They can just get bat on ball in the directions they want to, and it and it flies away anyway. So, not that I'm necessarily assuming that you've got that. Same skill, finesse, and power, Robin. But um, if you uh, if you are able to, to get bat on ball consistently and you can and you can beat the infield, then you'll be you'll be away and flying before you know it. Next question is from Jack, and Jack says, "I'm playing a Christmas indoor cricket tournament to pass the time before the summer." Well done, Jack. And Jack says, "Any tips for getting the most from it?" Yeah. Well. well Go on, go on, Sam, if you want to go first. Sorry, mate. Well, I was just going to say, we need to dial in someone who is a, an indoor cricket expert. And I happen to know possibly the greatest indoor cricketer in the world. And I think Gareth knows him as well. Um, and he's a guy called Richard Kenway. And he is the best indoor cricketer you will ever see. <laughs> I, know, I know Rich very well. And he was phenomenal. Is he still playing? Oh, he scores a thousand runs a year. He just walks in, gets his whatever you get. He's off, off you go. I don't think he's been out since the nineties. He, he uh, just goes. He was he was incredible. Yeah, when I, I can remember watching him play indoor cricket because I was actually useless uh, at it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I always used to look at him with, with massive envy, really. And uh, you know, how many Lords Finals has he been in? All Lords <laughs> Finals has he been in over the years? So uh, uh, yeah, he's very he, he'd be he'd be pretty good, I think, and, and answer that fantastically well. But from my experience of watching him and, and playing uh, in the game a little bit, um, uh, not very successfully. One of the things that I've seen people do is really use. The, and, and Rich might not be one of these people because I think Rich is so competitive that he just wants to play 
Um, brilliant cricket indoors. He wants to win all of the time and has done it on a consistent basis, um, taking sides to Lords and winning cups and, and so on and so forth. But for some people, and your question sounds like a bit of a preparation piece for the next year as opposed to, you know, indoor cricket is as important to me to, to do really well in to get win cups and win matches as the outdoor game. So in preparation, I would look at it slightly different from probably Rich would have gone about it and, and say, right, what can I get out of indoor cricket that I can then take into my, my summer game? Um, and I remember playing a number of years ago and my my game was very nudge and nerdle and very pull and cut, which, you know, pull and cut isn't particularly good indoor indoor cricket stuff. Um, the ball would go straight back to the middle of the pitch and if I was running between the wickets I'd get run out by about eight yards so, so that, wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't too clever um, so one year I decided to to go very much with, with uh, soft hands trying to do two things really one was to knock the ball into the corners and sort of beat gully line uh, into the corner offside and the other one was to defend the ball very softly so almost it, it just rests up against the wall into cover and mid wicket and I got reasonably good at that. And then obviously I could take those skills into the, the outdoor game as well. And I found that I was able to um, rotate the strike so much better than I had done previously when I then went outdoors. And then secondly, in, in the follow-up year, I looked to try and develop my straight hitting game. And in the game of cr- indoor cricket that we played, you know, hitting straight, if you hit in the air, you got six. And if you sit on the ground and hit the back wall, then you, you got four. So I looked to develop that. And um, and that winter, I became very good at hitting boundaries straight down the, down the ground. That was something that I was never very good at uh, in the outdoor game as well. And then the following year, so the third year, I tried to, to sort of mix and match that game uh, a little bit more selectively because I've been very predominantly one and very predominantly the other in the preceding two seasons. Um, and I didn't have actually as much success at that. I found that much more much more difficult to do indoors. But then when I went outdoors, I started to develop a game where I could hit hit opening bowlers back over their heads with little chip shots, which gave me a completely different um, perspective when I was batting and, and really made the opposition captains in the outdoor game have to set slightly different fields to what they had done previously uh, to me over the years. So I used it very much as a preparation piece. I'm getting that from your question. Um, so pick out one of those two things to really try and develop over the course of a winter so you can then affect your play when you go outdoors. And then from a, a bowling point of view, uh, you know, the, the, having Yorkers, for example, is a great indoor ball, but equally you might be playing on a surface where that back of a length ball up into the ribs works pretty well and certainly one of the years that I played in that that was a ball that we bowled predominantly we, we bowled without a mid off and put three people on the leg side and, uh, and did that really well with, with the seamers that I played with so we were very specific about how we went about it but equally we wanted to make sure that everything that we did indoors was about what we were going to do outdoors as opposed to it being about winning that particular competition at any given time yeah, and I suppose if you go in with a goal of saying, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to de- see how I do in developing these p- shots, whichever one it is, that, that the softer hit, the working the ball into the corners, hitting it straight. If you walk, if you 
If you get good at doing that in the indoor game, then that does carry across. And then you can, you know, the, the rest of it is, you know, neither here nor there. It'll help with fielding as well, of course, won't it? If, you know, having the ball whacked at you from uh, from close range, you can only you can only get better or, uh, you know, get a broken finger, which is why I never bother playing indoor cricket. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that if you, if you really put a bit of time about thinking into the positions you get into when you field, so what position are you in as the ball is being released? If you're... The game's so fast. If you're a fraction of a second late on your movement, then you'll you'll notice that that, that someone's already through. The, the guys will run so fast between the wickets. They're trying to go every single ball. So if you can really work on that synchronisation of your movements with the bowler bowling the ball and the batter playing the shot and really try and fine-tune that and fine-tune it with a position that allows you to explode out of um, that stance, left, right, forwards, backwards, etc., um, then that gives you something because you're only ever going to run maybe five or six steps in either direction sometimes less than that so it's really important that the quality of your movements in those five or six steps is, is absolute top notch all the way so it just just try and refine those movements that you do have as the ball is coming in and, and the position you're getting to be into, into by the time the ball's being making contact with the bat Yeah, enjoy it as well you know, have a bit of fun work on a few skills and uh hopefully win a couple of games and then have a good Christmas presumably from a keeping point of view David it's just a great chance to be up to the stumps and get in someone's face isn't it <laughs> yeah I mean you know any any opportunity you've got to practice keeping where there's actually a batsman there and a bowler who's trying to you know bowl properly that's a golden opportunity because it doesn't happen that often in practice does it uh, Gareth you, you know you, you're always you're always searching for that opportunity no definitely and and I think that's a great option. I forgot about keeping, which is terrible of me. Um, but yeah, standing standing up indoors is fantastic. You get the opportunity to squeeze the game massively and create wicket-taking opportunities that maybe you wouldn't normally do outdoors. And it might give you that confidence to do it more outdoors. The other thing as well, from a, uh, I suppose, from a damage limitation point of view, is that there's normally a net or a massive wall standing behind <laughs> you. So when you do miss it, it just bounces back towards you anyway. So uh, it doesn't, doesn't go for four fives. So there's that sort of safety net thing where you're only going to concede one if you miss it. So it's a bit like having a backstop, isn't it? Um, so I, I think I think it's brilliant because it can encourage even the more defensive wicket keepers to take a risk. And uh, uh, certainly when you look back on... Uh, on my career of keeping wicket indoors but more importantly because I bowled most of the time other keepers Stephen Snell for example who played in the who's at Somerset now coaching he played in the same indoor side as me uh, and I remember his keeping up to the stumps really developed one winter as a result of, of standing up to everybody irrespective of their pace um, indoors when he was about 14, 15 and uh, yeah so I'd really encourage that but as I say having that backstop behind you is, uh, is pretty cool though I suppose there's a bit of a chance for those 2020 skills as a keeper as well, where you're, if you if you are back, hitting the stumps with your glove on or keeping with one glove or whatever, and that those kind of death overs in a 2020 where they're trying to sneak in that extra single, and that's not a thing that's practiced a great deal, is it? Firing a, a quick underarm return at the stumps with a glove on isn't something that's practiced, but maybe in indoor cricket that's the kind of environment that, you, that a keeper might have to do a little bit of that as well so there's probably a little bit of transferability from, from, from back as well but I guess keepers want to be up indoors as much as they can don't they? Yeah well you only get a little bit of space don't you um, 
you know, standing back. So back. you might you might as well not bother really. So I'm with you on that, Sam. I just think I just think indoor cricket from a keeping point of view gives you the opportunity to do stuff that we wouldn't normally get exposed to outside. And that might open up some opportunities when you go outside to think, hang on, I've done this indoors, so why don't I try this now? Um, you know, why don't I stand up to this person now? Why don't I look to try and run him out of the uh, the uh, non-striker's end um, by taking a glove off and, and, and throwing him barehanded? So, uh, you know, I, th- I think, as you say, Sam, it's an opportunity to, to practice those things, but most importantly, to keep playing cricket and to be- keep being around your mates. And, um, you know, that that's one of the things that I loved about indoor cricket was the fact that you got together once a week and... Uh, and you carried on all of that fun from the summer, you know, and um, so good luck, Jack, with that. And that is all we've got time for on the show this week. Before we go, there is one more thing we need to do, and that's to decide on the winner of the competition. The winner gets an online coaching course from Pitch Vision Academy at pitchvision.com. And the two people in the running is are Robin who was asking about 2020 opening the batting and Jack asking about indoor cricket. Which one did you prefer this week, Garris? I'm going to go with Jack, actually. I, you know, I, it really uh, it really got me thinking back to playing indoor cricket, which I didn't think yeah, was going to necessarily be the case. And, uh, and as I say, the enjoyment that, that you can get from that is just fantastic. I also got probably the best sledges from the balcony of all of the spectators <laughs> as well. Uh, that I ever received because uh, being a keeper, you didn't normally, you weren't normally that close to the to the crowd. So I didn't, uh, I didn't tend to hear too much. But uh, certainly when you're in an indoor hall and they're they're barracking you from the the, the balcony, normally with a couple of beers inside them, uh, that was always good fun. So good memories. Thanks for that, Jack. And you are this week's winner. Congratulations, Jack and Garris. For everyone else listening who didn't win the prize this week but they fancy their chances. They want to send in a question. How can they get in touch with us? Well, they can give us a call on 0203 239 7543 or drop us an email on coach at pitchvision.com. That's right. There's lots of other ways you can get in touch with us. You can message us through the system at pitchvision.com. You can find our account there, our public account there at uh, Pitch Vision Academy, and you can send us a message or you can do it on Facebook, facebook.com slash pitchvisionacademy, or Twitter at pitchvisionacad. You can subscribe to the show. That comes out every Friday. You just do a search for Pitch Vision Academy in your favourite podcast app, and that will come up. And if you want to get the show through pitchvision.com, head over to pitchvision.com slash academy and click on the podcast link for all the details, all the show notes, and all the old shows which you can download or stream straight from the website. That's all for this week. We hope you listen next week. But until then, have a good week. Cheers, Garris. Cheers, Lavers. Cheers, all. Cheers, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Or, as as I said in America, happy holidays. Beautiful. What an accent. Finish on an American accent. Exactly. A really bad one. (laughs) Do we get many listeners in uh, in New York? <laughs>